are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, I've been praying that uh, today you would feel loved, that you would feel encouraged, that you would feel inspired, uh, that you would feel hopeful. But I've also been praying that you would feel challenged, that, that you would take a good, honest, hard look at your own life and at your own heart as we continue this series called Anxiety. Now, we've been saying that anxiety is different from fear in that anxiety imagines a threat. And so it deals more with the what ifs. What if this happens or what if that happens or what if this doesn't happen? Um, It feeds worry. So some folks sent me a little joke this week that said this, um, worrying actually works for me because 95% of what I worry about never comes to pass. <laughs> we laugh at that because we know that worrying didn't actually help anything. Um, those things would not have come to pass anyway. Last week, I reminded you of the words of Corey Tim Boom, who says, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It actually empties today of its strength. And I think it was Billy Graham who said, take one day at a time, take one day at a time, because today, after all, is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. I maybe should say it again. <laughs> today, after all, is the tomorrow that you worried about yesterday. So, so yesterday you worried about today, but look at where you are today. God is still with you, and he is still going to walk beside you. You know, uh, Annette and I have these two daughters that have been such a huge blessing in our lives. I, I remember when, when Brittany and Morgan were young and we would tuck them into bed at night and we would pray for them. There were occasions where they would maybe become tearful and, and talk to us about something they were dealing with uh, in friendships or at school, something that was causing them to feel anxious or worried I remember we would talk to them, sitting on the side of their bed, we would pray with them. I would have done anything in those days to have rescued my daughters from those tough situations. Today, my my girls are adults, but if you told me that one of my girls was carrying a very, very heavy load, or that one of my daughters was dealing with lots of anxiety, was very worried about something, it would tear me apart. And I would go to any length I could go to today to try to help them um, and rescue them from their anxiety. Now, when I think about God and his love for his children, for you and me, I realize that it's so much greater than my love for my girls. And here's what I have found in the scripture. No matter what I do, no matter how I look at it, these verses that deal with anxiety always come to the same conclusion. And let me put the words on the screen for you. This is the conclusion. God desires to rescue you from your anxiety. No matter what I do with these verses, no matter how hard I try to look at them from different angles, no matter how much studying I do, I always arrive at this same conclusion. God desires to rescue you from your anxiety. And so what I want to do is take a look at one of those verses with you today. It's found in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 4, okay? And so um, as we turn to God's word, uh, God's desire to rescue you from your anxiety 
is so evident in these next few verses. So here we go. The Apostle Paul writes to a group of people who make up the church in Philippi, and here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, you've just got to hang on with me here for these four words because they are some of the best words I've ever read in my life. The Lord is near. You're going to want to remember those words. Don't be anxious. Now, here we're dealing with this idea of anxiety, right? Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, just look at these words. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I can't fully understand it. You can't fully understand it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now look at the next paragraph. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, I wish I could have a one-on-one conversation with you. Um, I wish I could sit down and look in the eye and say, how you doing? Um, I've gotten to have that conversation with many of you over the phone over these last several weeks, but not in person. So how are you doing with all of this social distancing? Uh, one lady asked, how long does this social distancing thing last? Because my husband, uh, he keeps wanting to come in the house. <laughs> I wonder how you're doing with this new schedule. I remember this one guy saying that I used to think the reason that I wasn't getting all these projects done around my house was because I didn't have time. But since the lockdown, I realized that is not the reason I was not getting these projects done. Uh, how are you doing with keeping your hands washed and sanitized? I remember the first time I went to the grocery store during all of this, um, I wore gloves, plastic gloves, and, and I thought that would, you know, take care of things. If your grocery store is, you know, the, uh, the Corona Central of, of your community, which I assume it might be, I left that grocery store pretty much feeling like I was fully contaminated with whatever was in that store. Uh, finally decided I would go with the hand sanitizer. And so before touching me or mine, after being in the store, I made sure that I hand sanitized and I did it six or seven times in the process. Um, all of this stuff, we kind of make our, makes us ask ourselves, you know, am, am I doing it right? Am I even doing the at home thing right? Am I, am I getting what I'm supposed to be getting? Am I, Am I growing as a person? Am I, am I doing things like I should be doing them? There's a lot of uncertainty in all of this, and uncertainty feeds anxiety. Now, let me talk to you about that in, in light of this passage that we're dealing with, okay? You're going to find this very interesting. So here we have Paul writing a letter to the people in Philippi. A few years earlier, he had planted the church there, and now he's writing back to them. So just lean in for a minute, okay? Paul is probably 60 years old at this point. 
And you want to say to Paul, hey, buddy, let me just let me just talk to you. okay? you might want to consider slowing down. I don't know how much more your body can take of this. I mean, on my day off on Thursday, I I mowed my lawn and I also rode my bike and I limped all Thursday evening and most of Friday, you know, because my body just doesn't respond like it used to. Paul was writing from a prison cell, a Roman prison cell, okay? Now, when you think about Paul and what he had been through, he says things like this, um, I received 39 lashes five times. I cannot imagine receiving one lash. Five times, he said, I received 39 lashes. He said, this is Paul talking now about himself. Three times I was beaten with rods. Um, One time they left me for dead. They beat me so bad they walked away assuming that I had died. Uh, I've been imprisoned. Many times I have been shipwrecked. He said a night and a day I spent in the deep. Paul says, I know what it's like to be hungry. And at the time that he writes this, he's awaiting trial. And they're going to decide whether or not he lives or dies. And on top of all of that stuff, Paul probably is most concerned about all of these infant churches that he has planted all around his world. That's probably a greater concern than anything else for him. You talk about uncertainty. I mean, Paul is facing uncertainty and has for many, many years like nobody else I know. But in these four chapters that he writes to the Philippian people, never once does he say anything about fear or worry. I'm telling you. Had I been the Apostle Paul, it would have taken me four chapters just to say, this is how you can pray for me in this season of my life. Please, you know, lift me up in prayer. It's not what you hear from Paul. Now, let's think about not only Paul, but think about the Philippian church, the people that he's writing to. So, so the people in Philippi are also undergoing persecution. The same kind of persecution that Paul and Silas were undergoing when they went there to plant the church. Do you remember? They were stripped of their clothing. They were beaten and they were thrown in jail. This is the kind of persecution that the people who attend this small congregation in Philippi are subject to. Their neighbors are not at all excited about their newfound faith in Jesus. And they are suffering great persecution. Not only that, but there is inward stuff happening within the congregation, within the body of Christ. In the previous Verses, Paul talks about this division where these two people need to kind of work out their differences and get things together. So if you want to think about uncertainty, not only for Paul, but also for the people in this church in Philippi. Now let's talk about you. Six weeks ago, the world changed as you knew it. Six weeks ago, Annette and I were in our car and we were driving east on I-40 toward Nashville. I remember getting off my phone. And I remember saying to Annette, I can't believe the decision that we made, but I think it's the right decision. It was on a Saturday. I said to her, there won't be any church at Bethany First Church tomorrow. It will only be online. And I am so thankful for our media and tech team that got themselves together and got us online that next morning. And that's the way it's been now for six weeks. Your schedule, for many of you, has been completely replaced. And you have lots of questions. And we're asking what? And we're asking when? And, and, and all we can do is shrug our shoulders and say, we don't know. And so what we live with today 
is uncertainty. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. Let me just put the words on the screen for you, okay? We will always face uncertainties. Always. We will always face uncertainties. And those uncertainties will try to feed our anxiety. (laughs) See, there's always this temptation toward anxiousness. Because there's always uncertainty. It's the same for Paul. It was the same for the people in the church at Philippi. And it's the same for you and it's the same for me. We will always face uncertainties that will try to feed our anxieties. So you may be saying, what do we do? I think it's a great question. So what are we going to do? Could I make a brief suggestion that really comes from what Paul is trying to help us toward? I think we begin by searching our own hearts. Thomas Akempis has been feeding my soul early every morning through this crisis in his little devotional classic called The Imitation of Christ. He was born in Germany, moves to Holland at the age of 19, enters a monastery and spends the rest of his life in that monastery. He lives to be 91 years old. One of the most celebrated Christian uh, pieces of Christian literature is his masterpiece, although he wrote many other things called The Imitation of Christ. Here's what he says in one of the chapters in his little book. It is good for us to encounter troubles and adversities from time to time. How are you feeling about a campus so far? <laughs> um, it is good for us, he says, to encounter troubles. Uh, and adversities from time to time. Why would you say it's good for us, Mr. Akempis? And he says, for troubles often compels a man to search his own heart. Troubles often compels a man to search his own heart. So would you say that um, in the last six weeks you have searched your heart? I have. Let me, let me ask you some questions, okay? When, when, when you look at your own life and you search your own heart, how would you describe your overall attitude in life? Would you and the people around you describe you as a joyful person and a thankful person and a grateful person? Or would they describe you in a different way? So, so what, about, what about prayer as you search your own heart? Would you say that, that, that your immediate response when challenges come into your life is, is your immediate response anxiety and worry or do you just take it to the Lord in prayer? Do you tend to pray about most everything? Or do you tend to worry about most everything? What, what about your thoughts? Do you feel like you have pretty good control of your thoughts? Do you ever feel like... No, Rick, I think my thoughts have pretty good control of me. And what about the measure or the standard, the person, or what is it that kind of influences your life the most? What's the guide that you try to live by, the mentor that you see as uh, the person you want to become like? See, I think these are heart-searching questions. And it's right where Paul takes us when he talks about defeating anxiety in our lives. Okay? So... So hidden in these few verses that I read to you are four keys uh, to how we defeat anxiety, okay? 
I'm going to give you two of those four keys. And the reason I'm not going to give you four of those is because we only have time for two today. But next week, we're going to deal with the next two. Let me tell you, uh, just buckle up because you are going to love these two. And I think for somebody today, they're going to be life-changing. Okay? So let's start with the first one. I have a friend who lives in Cincinnati. His name is Larry. And uh, Larry is... um, a man who is up in years, and he has struggled with lots of physical challenges. I remember Larry would call me on occasion, and um, he loved to play golf, and he was healthy and able, and we would talk about golf. Sometimes he would say, uh, maybe we could meet for lunch, and I always loved meeting Larry for lunch. He would have his wife, Ann, drop him at the door of the restaurant. He would always get there way ahead of me. He always wanted to pay, and when I got to the restaurant, he would reach over and take my arm, and he would walk with me through the restaurant to the table because Larry was at that point to a place of not hardly being able to see anything at all. We would sit at the table, we would order food, he would only take a bite or two of something, and he would finally say to the server, you can put that in a box, I'm talking too much to eat, but the truth was... It was probably too difficult to eat in front of somebody that he didn't know that well. He was dealing with dialysis three times a week. He had blindness that he was trying to navigate through. He had Bell's palsy. One side of his face was drooped terribly and his eye would not stop watering. And I remember Larry saying to me one day as he lifted his finger and tears flowing out of both of his eyes... I think I might be the happiest and most blessed man alive. He meant it. He meant it with everything in him. Larry was so full of joy. And he was so thankful to God for everything that he had. He would just say things like, I think maybe I have more than anybody else in the world. And he meant it. It's the first thing that Paul says when he talks about how are we going to defeat anxiety. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So when we think about how anxiety is defeated in our lives, Paul gives us this first key, and that is by rejoicing. Now let me look at it with you for a minute, okay? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. So let's just Begin with those first four words. Rejoice in what? Who? The Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in my own work ethic. He doesn't say rejoice in my own tenacity. He doesn't say rejoice in my own skill set. He doesn't say rejoice in my own, you know, stick to No, none of those things. We rejoice in the Lord. You remember those four words I talked about earlier that I just loved? The Lord is near you rejoice in the lord because the lord is with you the lord is near the lord's right here when everything changed six weeks ago the lord was near six weeks later the lord is still near the lord is with me so so when am i supposed to rejoice in the lord look at this always i'll say it again rejoice the verb tense in the greek for the word rejoice is in the imperative tense What the imperative tense means, I'm sorry, in the present imperative, in the present imperative tense. And what that means is just continually, that you just never stop rejoicing. You just rejoice in the Lord always. You you might say, um, 
what, what is it that makes people so joyful? Sometimes we look at people and we think, wow, they're just so joyful. They just, they just live in this state of joy. I think sometimes we're tempted to wonder if it's their circumstances. If I had their circumstances, I think I would probably be joyful too. If I had everything going for me, they have going for them. Do I need to remind you that Paul is in prison? He is not laying on a Mediterranean seashore getting a suntan while sipping on a pina colada. He's in prison. His circumstances are not great. He's been beaten. He's been left for dead. He's been in prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's been hungry. All of those things. But yet, in this Little book of four chapters, six times he uses the word rejoice, five times he uses the word joy. What he is trying to say is simply this, I am so filled with joy that I cannot help but rejoice. And we can only arrive at one conclusion, and that is that joy is not determined by our circumstances. It wasn't for Paul. It wasn't for my friend Larry. It's not for me, and it's not for you. And it wasn't for the people in the church in Philippi. Our joy is not determined by our circumstances. So so I think it's a great question. How would you describe yourself? Are you a joyful person? (laughs) Are Are you thankful? Are you grateful? Is that how people would describe you? And how does that affect the way that you deal with anxiety in your life? Now, let me talk to you about the second point that that he makes, okay? For the last two weeks, I've mentioned to you that Louis Giglio talked about the fact that all of us are only 20 inches from mercy. I've got to talk about it one more time, and I promise I'll stop after this. But 20 inches is the distance from the floor to your knees. It's a matter of you and me falling to our knees And simply saying, God, I need you. It's just asking for help. Here's what he says. You know, if you want to deal with anxiety, if you want to see it defeated in your life, you just ask for help. Let me give you the verse. Here's a good reminder, okay? Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation... In which situation now? Because we're dealing with COVID-19. He says, in that situation. In fact, it's in every situation. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You see, burned into my mind, into my memory... There's this little summary of this verse, and I want you to memorize it today with me. You ready? Here it is. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. So when you think about your own life, Would you describe yourself as full of joy? I'm celebrating God all the time. I'm joy-filled because I know that God is with me. And I just live my life praying about everything. I pray about my job. I pray about my family. I pray about my kids. I pray about my work. 
I pray for people who have the virus to get better. I pray that the virus will not continue to spread. I pray for a vaccine. I pray for drugs to treat the virus. I pray for first responders. I pray for health care workers. I pray for the people in the service industry who are keeping us fed, food on our table. I just pray about everything. I don't worry, Rick. I pray. Is that how you would describe yourself. And you pray how with thanksgiving. Lord you've been so good to me. You've blessed me in so many ways. Your hand has been on me. You've watched over me. You've cared for me. You've answered prayers for me. God you have been there every time I've needed you. You have always been near. And so it's with thanksgiving now. That I just pray about everything. I'm not worrying about anything. I'm praying about everything. So I love the way that this section of the passage I read to you ends, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. God's peace, which transcends our understanding, is going to guard your heart and your mind. So this is the prayer I want to pray for you, okay? Father, today I'm asking you to help us to search our hearts And in these last few weeks, we have been challenged to search our hearts. Are we joyful people? Are we celebrating your goodness and the fact that you're with us? Are we worrying or are we praying? And so I believe that through your word today, that you are loving us and your desire is to rescue us from any anxiety that would be caused by the uncertainties that we face now. I'm praying, Lord, that you would rescue somebody today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would, would you give your heart for these next few moments to the words of a song that I believe is God this morning speaking directly to you? Open your heart to what he has to say. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.